Okay, does everyone have notes? I have extras. Anyone need notes? Anyone withholding notes from anyone this morning? <laughs> Last week, I knew I passed all notes. Okay. We are teaching from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. I wanted to point something out from last week that was pointed out to me, and they were right. When you're talk, I talked about godliness and honesty, and godliness is our vertical uh, relationship with God, and honesty is our horizontal relationship with each other. And they said, you didn't mention truth, and anytime you mention honesty, there should be truth. And that's true. We should, we should be uh, truthful. So I just wanted to to point that out. And then I'm not going to go with a in detail review over the last five weeks. This is this is the last week you're gonna be having me stand up in front of you, good, bad, and especially the other thing. Um so just in general, last week we decided who we needed to pray for. And I can sum it up with one word. Everyone. So um so let's go ahead and, and get started because we've got quite a bit to cover here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, women are forbidden to preach. Okay, Pastor Tim's going to answer any questions. Tell me he's going to do that. <laughs> um... So we'll go verse by verse here and, and see where we get. I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or suffering. This is a continuation of what Paul instructed Timothy concerning prayer. He's saying that men need to pray everywhere. He's instructing men. That there isn't a place that exists where prayer shouldn't be heard. Then he says, lifting holy hands. I'd like to add a comment here. In, in our worship service at Trinity Baptist, we're very stoic. I heard a, a joke once that said, when you're in a, a Methodist church and you're sitting there and or it would work in it. You, you know you're sitting in Trinity Baptist Church. If someone raises their hand, they may have a question. <laughs> We're very stoic. We, we just stand. And uh, it's, I know Pastor First Timothy has said, our Pastor Timothy Raymond First Timothy said, even from the pulpit, he would like to hear amens. And there is something about that relationship. And um, uh, I can tell you just standing in, in front of a class, it, interaction is welcomed. And it's not just welcomed on the horizontal sense, but on the vertical sense. God wants to hear us discussing these things. And I, I had a conversation with Drew one day after class. And, and you know, I felt like he was teaching and... and I kept, you know, I had something to add and something to add. And we feel like there's times we feel like we're dominating the conversation, but I, 
have something I want to add, <laughs> you know? And so it's something that I have seen people in our church raise their hands. You stand up front, I'm leading singing next week. I've seen it happen. I've seen it sitting in the, sitting in the pew. If you ever see Tim Hawkins do his comedy bit on worship, usually the hand raising they do is carry the baby. He talks about this and then carrying the TV. <laughs> you know, if you get a chance to look up Tim Hawkins uh, describe worship, it, it's but but what did what did Paul mean by raising holy hands? So I usually take words out of I'll find something and okay here's here's a sentence I'm going to take a word out and then that's what's going to go in the class notes. This quote was too good and descriptive to take any words out. And of course, once again, that's Matthew Henry. Pure hands, pure from the pollution of sin, washed in the fountain, open for sin and uncleanness. Pure hands, listen, pure hands, pure from the pollution of sin. They're dirty, they're, they're, covered in sin, but they're washed in the fountain, and that fountain was opened for that pollution, for that sin. Um, this is a saying that we pray and worship. We, we should have prepared our hearts for it. So let's take the Lord's Supper today. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, I just said this in the prayer, that we are to approach the table in a worthy manner. Communion, worship, and prayer should all be done in the same way. We should all be coming to him in a worthy manner. Even when you're confessing sin to him or you're repenting, that's worthy. It's worthy of him. So that's how men should pray. So uh, don't think that Paul says, well, I'm, I talked about the men. I don't need to talk about the women. Far from popular opinion, Paul was far from a misogynist. Uh, then he says, likewise also, <clears throat> that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold, or pearls or costly attire. I skipped over one of my solid lines. I even put a break in here and I still didn't ask. Does anyone have anything to say about anything up till this point? Any questions or anything? Okay, so, so this verse begins with likewise. So that ties, it's like having a, a therefore or, or what for. This verse begins with the word likewise. That ties into the subject of the previous verse, which was what our heart and mindset should be in prayer and worship. Then we get into some hotly contested words. A lot of this passage that we're going through today are hotly contested. In the company we're in here at Trinity Baptist Church Sunday School, I think everyone should, everyone will pretty much agree with this. You get outside these walls and it becomes a little bit more contentious. So I want to give an example of how people have tried to twist scripture and dance around Paul's writings. <clears throat> this quotes from a very <coughs> theologically liberal professor. His name was Paul Jewett, lived from 1920 to 1991. And he was a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. He is um, probably responsible for a lot of the liberal leanings in, in today's church. He said, at times that the Apostle Paul slips into his old sexist rabbi mentality. He is saying that the Apostle Paul, 
a changed man that was knocked off his donkey on the road to Damascus still has a tendency to be sexist. Um, there, there would be a problem with that if, if that were the case, then what scriptures would Paul be a sexist, misogynist, throw in racist, whatever he was before he was saved to what he is now? We, we would have to differentiate that. And that's not true. This is the Apostle Paul writing. This is just a small example of some of the scriptural gymnastics people go through to uh, justify their stance. How dare Paul tell women how to dress? Is that what he's doing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he is. Let's be honest. He is. But there's several trains of thought on this. So I'll think what is most likely in the first century there was worship of Greek gods most of all were the worship of Diana and Artemis and the worship of these gods was very basically sexual orgies mm -hmm. um, most cults and heresies that's the basis of it Peter says sensuality sensuality come out in our text Mm -hmm. if you notice most heresies and false teachings have a basis of sexuality I'll say it the Mormons they're going to come up later too the Mormons a lot of their teachings have sexual, have sexual undertones to them um, so the women in a polytheistic society felt they needed to attract the eye of everyone so here, Paul's reminding them and us that our attention needs to be on God and not us. Our attention needs to be on God and not us. There's another aspect to this that is implied. If the men are to raise their holy hands, they need to have a clean heart. If women are walking around in gaudy, and alluring clothes. It's difficult for the men to do that. Remember Romans 14.21 says, <clears throat> It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. If I'm going to go out to eat with my stepson, stepson, he lives in Oregon for my second marriage. He's an alcoholic. He's 75, 75 days sober right now. If I could go and we'd sit down and have a meal, we'd do it. But I'm not going to take him down to the corner bar and order a tenderloin. I'm going to choose a place that there are as little triggers as possible. Now I'm going to mention it. My second wife was alcoholic. And I'll tell you what some of those triggers are. Driving past a neon sign will trigger someone to want to drink. Just those little things. And so you want to be cautious of that. You may know who I'm talking about. There was a theologian that had an assistant. He said, he said, sir, he said, every time I get to work, I'm on fire with lust. He goes, but how do you come to work? He goes, I come down 8th Street. And he goes, that's where the brothels are. He goes, change your direction, drive away, drive around, and don't be tempted. So another part of this was the women were not to, to be tempting the, the men. I have another solid line here. Any additions, subtractions, questions? I was going to say, yes. it seems to be the emphasis here is not the externals. He says, don't use, you know, have braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly attire. That's what everybody sees. But I think what he's focusing on is, is the heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what you can't see. Right. And that's what... And that, the world is all about what you can see. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, and that's what we put in the notes is our attention needs to be on God and not on us. Yeah. So does the braided hair still apply to that today? Or is that kind of just more of a specific thing in that context? Was 
thought of as wrong because I think people still yeah. braid their hair today. But oh yeah, people still braid their hair. There's nothing wrong with braided hair. I think it was the 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 attractiveness of what that was. There's nothing wrong with doing your hair a different way or whatever. You wouldn't have a problem with that though. No. no. Or, or you. Yeah. <laughs> Although you can do that. Yeah, Carol. And, uh, I think too that I totally get 100% agree with everything you're saying and how this affects the meds and all that. But and like you're saying, how it affect how it's the heart. If a woman today is braiding her hair to show off and be proud and whatever, then that's sin. If she's doing it to keep it out of her face, okay, no big deal. Like right. so, I think with all of this. You know, obviously modesty and, and you know self-control but just you know it, 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 everything always comes back to to the heart motivation that God's looking at so in all of this it's not like we, we don't want to get distracted but I believe that you know he's talking to Timothy Timmy Timothy was dealing with a specific church and this these could have been the hot buttons of that church at that time but the point of it is not braiding the point is women need to have a pure heart, just like the men need to have a pure heart, holy hands, and so on, in, in their decisions on how they even present themselves. Right. When you study Roman culture, the hair was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Big deal. And so that that's why Paul mentions it, is because if a Roman woman wanted to get dolled up for whatever, that it was also connected with her Roman cult of emperor worship, mm -hmm. which you referred to was always sexually oriented mm -hmm. and so it was to incite and to excite the the visual in, right. in men so that's why he references it that is not an issue today i mean my wife braids her hair and i don't get all excited even though i think she's very pretty <laughs> right looks lovely in that but it's it wouldn't have mattered that, if she braided it or not yeah exactly yeah. It, it wouldn't make a difference right um I heard a podcast a few weeks ago. It's been in the back of my mind. You know, you hear some things sometimes. It's like, wow, this guy wrote a 500 page book about head coverings. Yeah, it's and a lot it's of like, making papers and It's Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, but if you think about R.C. Sproul's wife, Vesta, has always worn a head covering in church. That's that's for here, that's a whole other thing, but it's, it's involving the head the head of the woman. Okay, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Paul is encouraging women to seek out godliness. This is vastly in opposition to how women are treated in other religions, let alone the Jewish religion. They were to learn and grow as Christians. That's what Paul wanted. In other religions, the women weren't to learn or grow at all. In 1 Corinthians 14, 34, Paul says, The woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. So let's not focus on keeping silent. Let's rewrite that and leave the keeping side out for just a moment. The women in the churches. Paul's assuming that the women are sitting in the pews, if you will, and sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. This is holding women up in a high position that they hadn't been before. Paul's biblical mind excluded any thoughts of sexism or misogyny. It was all about the worship of God and the knowledge of God. Wait a second. Paul says with good works. So do we totally ignore, oh, I don't know, Romans and the rest of the New Testament? What's Paul saying here? He isn't saying that salvation comes from works. He's pointing out that being saved and growing in Christ, which is sanctification, then the works grow from that. 
He's pointing out that being saved and growing, growing in Christ, the sanctification, then the works grow from that. They'll know we are Christians by our love. It's, we are saved by grace alone, and there's zero question about that. But if a Christian just sits at home and reads their Bible, well, I've, I've read through the Bible. I can't remember who it was. Said, they said, I finished my Bible this year. They read through the entire Bible in six months. Impressive. Impressive. Can you tell me what Ephesians 2.13 says? I can't. But did they really soak it in? Did they really read it? I'm all for reading through the Bible in a year. And every year, Pastor Tim has all the reading programs and has an entire sermon. The first Sunday of the year is about reading our Bible. And I have, a, I, his birthday was yesterday, I says, my spiritual mentor. He, he, he has read through the Bible every year since he was 14 years old. So he's read through it 41 times. That's along with his other studies and, and all that. But he knows what it says. And there's, so, these works come from growing as a Christian. So can you sit at home and say you've read your Bible and that's it? It's hard to label that person a Christian. I'm sorry. I think James huh? says be a, not just a hearer, but a doer. A doer, be a doer of the word. So, um, I want to point out something I read this week. It said that if women were wearing gold and fancy clothes and jewelry, they could be spending that money in other places to further Jesus Christ and his church. This would further the thought that women would profess faith with works. So we start getting into some murky waters and it's it's providential that I'm teaching this two weeks after a major denomination convention that they disfellowshipped two major churches. Has anyone heard of Saddleback Church? Brick mm -hmm. Warren, Purpose Driven Church? Mm -hmm. They were a Southern Baptist church yeah, until two weeks ago. Yeah. They've been ordaining women. They've been ordaining women, and Rick Warren retired, and so he named his replacements, plural, and it was a husband-wife team. And the SBC goes, uh, can't do that. And I'm not going to get into it, but a lot of his arguments were, but I taught this many missionaries. I taught so many people. I led people to Christ. I, there was a lot of personal pronouns with his argument. So, let a, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So it's, it's the beginning of our restriction verses. We've already pointed out that Paul wanted women to learn. <clears throat> so I saved a quote for this verse to show the dichotomy that existed in the Jewish religion against women learning. In the Babylonian Talmud, no, I didn't read it. In the Babylonian Talmud, it says, at synagogue, men come to learn, women come just to hear. They, they didn't even want, why? Because the rabbis didn't think that women were capable of learning. Paul is holding up the learning capabilities of a woman. So what in manner are they to learn? Well, in what manner are any of us to learn? Quietly. There's an issue at the church of Ephesus, obviously. Carol pointed out. Obviously, there was something going on. Paul addressed it. But if Paul addressed it and it made it into the canon, 
into scriptural, it's in our Bible, we should listen to it for ourselves. Um, so is this a problem today? Yes, Carol. No. <laughs> I, I've been in um, many churches just as a visitor or whatever where after 10 minutes you know, I, I tend to generally speak you know but like after 10 or so minutes I notice none of the women are speaking like like am I is this you know like kind of and then so I have to kind of do some soul searching not to mention my sister is a PhD and she teaches pastors but she teaches them Greek and she teaches them kind of life stuff. She doesn't teach expository preaching. She's not mentoring them. She's mm -hmm. she's in authority to the point where she gives them an academic grade. And so she she too had to kind of wrestle through that. You know, I come from um, John MacArthur's school, right, where he's super strict on that, no compromise right. and, and whatever. But um, he but he would have women come to chapel, like Elizabeth Elliot came to her chapel, you know, and and they would call it testimony. But I'm telling you, they still had a three-point outline. They're still, yeah. men are still learning from them, as well as all the plethora of books written by women. Are men not allowed to read them? I mean, so you kind of have to wrestle through this. Right. And I think what the way I kind of fell, it, where I landed with this is, is you kind of look at Deborah, right? Deborah was never, you know, spoken of poorly in scripture for what she did. God called her to lead. But his message to the people of that day and us today is shame on the men for not standing up. Shame on them for not doing it. Because if you look at today, statistically, I don't know if this is true now, but there are three times as many women missionaries as men. So what are they supposed to do? Not teach the men in wherever they are in the world, you know, who know nothing. They don't even have the word in there. I mean, God would bless, I think, women for filling in where... You know, men are lacking, right? But shame on the men, if that, that kind of makes sense. You know, so I, um, you it know, does. and again, it goes to the heart. If a woman is trying to exercise authority, it's clear on that, clear and very specific to, to not have authority. But for her to be blessed with the gift of teaching, which some women are, or, or these kinds of things, yes, they should teach women, they should teach children. Mm -hmm. But like, what if there is no man? Like, what's a church to, if no man will stand right. up, shame on the men, but, you know. I heard if you preach or teach this scriptural rightly, there's three names that will come up. Deborah, Priscilla, and Aquila. <laughs> we will get to them. Deborah was a judgment, and you just said that. Deborah was a judgment on the on Israel. And the, the climate was everyone did what was right there. That's, mm -hmm. that's the conclusion of Jeff. Which is what we're facing today. <laughs> yes, yes so just with what Carol was saying, it really made me think about, like, I think that we do our, our family a lot, like how the church is, and so if a woman is the pastor of the church, it's likely that she might be, like, the leader in her home, which is so anti-complementarianism, and the whole Bible is written in a complementarian form. So when she was saying what she was saying about women being preachers, well, a lot of men aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Well, guess what? In the family, the men aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. and our society is falling apart. That's right. So, and we don't have much of a problem with this in Trinity Baptist Church, but you want to keep distractions in the worship service to a minimum. Um, I heard several sermons this week, but one of them, he said... A new youth pastor came in to a church, and his wife and the pastor's wife got off famously. So they sat in the second row in the worship service and talked the whole time. They laughed, they joked, and it was a distraction. Um, so you want to keep all kinds of distractions to a minimum. <clears throat> Candy wrappers, um, you know. I, I find myself not wanting to do this. You know, it can be a distraction to someone. Uh, so, let's see, where am I? This is also insubordination. That's insubordination to God. If you're 
treating the worship service, that we just prayed thanks for the, for the chance to be able to come before him and worship and sing his praises and sit under his word. It's insubordination to God. Insubordination. It's also insubordination to your brothers and sisters if you're distracting. This isn't a sexual statement or, or a sexist statement. It's a scriptural statement. Paul said that women had more of an issue with this than men. Paul uses the word submission. Where else are women to be submissive? In Ephesians, women are told to be submissive to their husbands. Here, Paul is exhorting the women to learn, but in submission to the word of God. Then we move on. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over, over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. We're still working on these prohibitions. There was two prohibitions. One was to, to keep quiet. And then here, or not to teach. Here, it's to teach and exercise authority. There's two promises to this prohibition. So women are not permitted to... I'll have two words. One's teach, and one is exercise authority over a man. So the word teaching in the New Testament is authoritative doctrinal instruction. What makes teaching in the church authoritative? The subject being taught. If a woman comes in and wants to teach how to change oil in the car, have at it. But you want to look at what subject is being taught. The Bible is being taught. The Bible carries all of the authority. Let's think about what the Bible says about itself. Hebrews 4.12 says... For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Does that sound like there's something that should be held up in authority? If it's going to pierce through joint and marrow and get to the to the root of any problems. So here's a little insight. I told you, I went to Grand Rapids last March to hear a mentor preach. He did six sermons over two days and exhorted and encouraged about 25 pastors in attendance. So I came home and I wanted to, I wanted to encourage my pastor. I said, let's go to breakfast. He goes, okay. So we met at Bob Evans. I shared with him a concern I have, and it's something that I've, we don't pay reverence to the Word of God the way we should. We sit in our comfy little chairs and read the words up on a wall. I mentioned last Sunday when I was getting ready to read, I encourage you to pick up the Bible. Pull the Bible out of the pew and open it up. Hold it. There's something textile, as in a textile, about holding it and reading a word that's literally in your hand. When, I know there were some restrictions to this, but when Timothy sent his letter to the Corinthians, they didn't put it up on a PowerPoint. It was in their hands. So, um, the time may come, I talked to Tim, he liked the idea, we may stand up when we read scripture. Pay honor to this, even in our private times. I'm guilty of this, I know. It's easy to put it on, put it on the, and listen to an audio version of it. When we read scripture, there should be solemnness and quietness being paid to what is read. On a private level, a woman may be able to teach.
and this is what you were saying. Priscilla and Aquila, I knocked out two, two thirds of those and we already touched on Deborah. So I think, I think we, we touched on that. She privately, or Priscilla and Aquila privately taught Paul, but it was in private. Those missionaries are teaching men most likely in private. It's not standing up and, and doing it in a, a public fashion. Another good example is say a woman has been a long time believer, been going to church, she drives herself to church every morning for 15 years and she comes home and she tells her husband about the sermon. He goes, okay, okay. And then he gets saved. He starts asking questions. She is able to lead him and teach him in private. Women are not to exercise authority over a man. So this prohibition is in the capacity of a local church that a woman should not hold positions of leadership over men. In the coming weeks, we're going to be learning all the requirements and restrictions to hold the office of elder and deacon. That's what 1st and 2nd Timothy are all about. Like I've been saying almost every week, this is the handbook for local church. Paul is winnowing down the field of those that can have authority in the local church. Probably knocked out about 50% when he said, women are out. There are few that have the qualifications to hold the office of elder. There are few men that can hold that. So, what are the arguments against this today? There's a pragmatic argument, the pragmatic objection. You might hear people say, oh, I've known several female pastors that have preached a sound sermon, had an altar call. Many people came to the front of the church. This command from Holy Scripture is not denying that women can be gifted to teach. It is a command that they are not to teach or hold authority over men in the local church. So, should, yes? You have to forgive my ignorance. There are women that know a lot more about the Bible than I do. Mm -hmm. So my question is not to be confrontational, but can you help me where I can find in the Bible Aquila was a woman? I thought it was Priscilla's husband. Yeah. Okay, I may be wrong. Well, I mean, you see what I'm saying. I, okay. Priscilla Aquila was the male. Priscilla yeah. was the female. Mm -hmm. The teacher's learning. Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, thank you no, for no. me to do that. I, I needed to know that. But still, Priscilla was still teaching Paul. There was still, both of them were teaching, and it was in a private, private place. So, should we be a pragmatist? that says, you know, we're just going to do it this way because it works. It works. Yep. Absolutely not. And I think that you could even say, like, well, I'm not going to tithe because I just don't have enough money to, to do that. But God's way is always the best way. And if God says that, um, I was just reading here, um, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body in himself is the Savior. So if God says that the man is the head, that's the way it has to be. And even if there isn't a man that can do it, it makes sense that a woman, to us it makes sense, but it's not God's way. A man just needs to be like, okay, I got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I give you an anecdotal yeah. uh, thing? Um, I was invited to go to Mongolia to teach. And so I went, there were 42 pastors about... Six of them were women. Um, and these are from Baptist churches in Mongolia. Um, and you have to know the history of how Christianity came to Mongolia. About 10 years ago, there was only about 10 Christians that they knew of. Now there are about 40,000. But the point 
was is that the, the church grew so quickly in Mongolia that the only ones they had who were taught scripture and knew scripture were women at the first because it was a young lady who brought the gospel to Mongolia. Um, but we were sitting there working <laughs> working on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and somehow it came up. But uh, other teachers along with me had broached the subject of, you know, women should not be pastors. Mm -hmm. And they were intrigued by that. Uh, they had never been exposed to that from scripture. But when they saw that that's what scripture taught, these women were godly women who submitted themselves and said, I will step down wow. as the pastor of this church because God's word says men should be in these positions. And so when you have people that really genuinely want to follow Christ, want to obey scripture, want to be obedient to Christ, they will change. But it was interesting that that was the phenomenon. And we were warned by several people, you know, be careful because, you know, you're going to stir up a hornet's nest. Right. Well, it's interesting when you establish the authority of scripture to begin with, mm -hmm. then you move to the next thing. Well, what does scripture teach? Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we respond to what the Bible says? That those that really genuinely have taken scriptural authority seriously, they were willing to change their practice. Mm -hmm. And now, a majority of the churches in Mongolia uh, that are Baptist and fundamental churches, good Bible-believing churches, they have men pastors instead of women. Mm -hmm. Would it have been right for them to step down if there wasn't a man to step up, though? I mean, yeah, but that's the point. There were men. Okay, yeah. Because they were, they right. were functioning in those positions. Okay, yeah. I totally and they agree. said, oh, no, there are men that are capable of teaching, and therefore we'll step down. Right. I, I mean, and I, in, in just in the next, you know, when it talks about the issue of women being deceived, I mean, you, it's hard to try to dance around that as well, you know, that women maybe tend to be more trusting and, can, you know, whatever. But on, on, I just kind of wanted to touch on, like, saved through childbearing, which, of course, is controversial. But if you look at, like, people like Abraham Lincoln, who says the person who had the most influence on his life was his mother, and she died when he was 10. And, like, C.S. Lewis's mother died when he was 10. And how Eunice and Lois were the force behind, I mean, God, of course, but God used his mother and grandmother to just instill in him a love for God where then God could use it. it. How much more influence they had in their son and grandson than in any kind of amount of people they could have touched, touched you know, in, in terms of, you know, how, how that works. Right. Yeah, for the sake of brevity, what Christy was saying, I would have been one of those husbands. But my first wife made, made me stand up and take the responsibility of being the leader of the house, the spiritual leader. And it's a heavy burden. It is. It is. Because women are, are supposed to submit to men. They're fallible. Men are supposed to submit to Christ. He's infallible. But I had to submit to her or she would hurt me. <laughs> and I had to stand up. <laughs> so there's two things I said there that, that I left in the notes, and we're going to skip part of this because the two objections would be the pragmatic objection, and if you're just pragmatic because it works, then we might as well become Mormons because it works for Mormons, and and uh, then the cultural objection, and you know we live in a different cultural atmosphere than they did then, so you know. We also don't greet with a holy kiss, bud. Don't even think about it. Um, we we don't greet we don't greet each other. I doubt if you got a kiss from the door greeter coming in. But well, it translates it's the into our culture as a handshake. That's right. Because we're friends, it is a kiss. Mm -hmm. So then we skip. We go down to the next one. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the one was deceived and became a transgressor. What are the two reasons for this prohibition? The first one's called the creation order. Right. I talked to Dan this morning. He's teaching creation <laughs> in the next room over. Um, so it's been a while since we've studied Genesis. But can, t can anyone tell me who the first person created was? It was Adam. So... Adam was the first in creation. And so God determined that Adam needed a help, help me. 
And then who was the last human created? Eve. So in 1 Corinthians 11, 8, 9, Paul says, For man was not made from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but, man, but woman for man. Because Adam was the first created, there was authority in that. Um, sin entered the world through one man. Scripture tells us that. Was it a man or a woman that was deceived, though? It was a woman. But who did Adam or who did God come to? <laughs> who did God hold responsible for it? Adam. Who did he curse? They both got a curse. But we say we have the original sin of Adam. We don't say Adam and Eve. So um, when a woman exercises authority over man, she isn't violating a cultural norm. She's violating the order of creation put in place by God. Second is the argument for the fall. Paul doesn't mince words. Adam wasn't deceived by Satan. Eve was deceived. Satan went to Eve. Do you notice who? Satan's no dummy. And he knows the Bible better than most of us. Amen. The authority was turned on its head. And the serpent, Satan, went to Eve first. So Paul makes it sound like Eve was more easily deceived than Adam. Satan went to Eve because of different inclinations of Adam and Eve. The next couple statements are generalities. They are not person to person, but generalities. And it's what you were saying. Women are more relational and nurturing than men. And, more, and men are more given to rational analysis and objectivity. This would explain a maternal instinct. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder also, could it be because God's Taught Adam firsthand, and then Adam was supposed to teach Eve, and he was derelict in his duty. And I heard this. I heard this in one of the sermons. Does it sound like Adam was a dummy? Yeah, probably. But we aren't talking about the wisdom. Of, we aren't talking about the smarts of Adam. We're talking about the biblical mandate given to him. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he was. He may not have been the smartest because he should have. You know, it was a judgment upon him as well. But he should have been like, there should be a, a perimeter, and we don't even want to get close to that tree. Let's stay over here. Exactly. So why in the world was Eve even close to the tree? Real quick, when churches start to bring women in to places of authority or to preach, it is a gateway. It is a gateway to all kinds of heresies. You look at the PCUSA, you look at the United Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church has thousands of churches leaving and going to what's called the Global Methodist Church because they want to hear the Bible preached the way the Bible is supposed to be preached. And there are churches that are having drag queens stand in the pulpit on a Sunday morning. And that is what, what happens when this starts happening. I don't want to skip that last verse, even though I want to. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You read five commentaries and you'll hear five different um, takes on this. So uh, anything you hear, and if you want to speak on this, feel free, because we talked about it earlier. I have one thing. Okay, please do. Please do. I think it's connected, and we can't disconnect this phrase, this verb, from the previous context. He's talking about the created order. Who gives birth? Mm -hmm. when? And what promise was made in Genesis 3.15? That, that the woman would bear. Yes, she would bear the one who would be the sin conqueror. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is related to this. Not that every woman gives birth to the Messiah. That's right. not what the right. point is. But that there is a salvific element to childbearing. Because what is, and when you look at the whole context, go back to verse 1, 
We're talking about godly men, godly women, raising up godly offspring. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the point that Paul's making, that there is opportunity for women to give birth to offspring who can then be taught scripture and raise up a generation of godly offspring. I think that's the best explanation I've ever heard. I, I like that. Does anyone have anything? You have about seven and a half seconds each. Yes. Well, I just want to say that I think the leadership in the church, like if a woman becomes a pastor, I think it's a gross misunderstanding of what's important. It's a, it's a very worldly, like the one in front is the most important. Well, that's not how the Bible is written at, at all. God's economy does not see like the one in front is the most important. Like our pastor Tim or that pastor Tim is not the most important person in this church. It's we're all equally uh, what is it like we're all stones or something mm -hmm. building up living stone exactly yes. exactly so yep. I think that when we look at it well I think uh, based on what we've discussed it also brings to the fore the need to train our young men because our young men today I mean just have a look at what is going on and parents should be more concerned about the kind of men yes. they are raising in their homes because they are going to be the heads of the home mm -hmm. and going into deacons and pastors and what have you. So if the young men have just been left on their own and they are just all over the place, we are in trouble. The last comment was sponsored by a woman. Yeah. <laughs> really short. Yes. In defense of the parents trying to raise their children, the parable of the prodigal son. They had a parent that raised two sons, the same parent. Mm -hmm. One stayed home to help, the other one went off and squandered. That's right, but he still came. So you do the best you can. Yes, yes. You In do. my defense. <laughs> I know, I know. No, Believe you me. Yes. Yeah, there's one more thing, and that is when we um, uh, look at Titus chapter 2, what are older women supposed to do? If you look at that context, mm -hmm. after it talks about the older women teaching the younger women to love and respect their husbands and be good keepers at home. He says, yeah. likewise, young men. And so the, the reason why that likewise is the same reason it's in this context is it's referring to the ministry of women to men. Mm -hmm. So don't discount the fact that women have a tremendous influence on young men. In fact, I, there's some ways a mother would have more influence on her son than, than the father. That's correct. So... Number one, I want to thank you all for the last six weeks, your patience with, with me in all different ways. So let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we're thankful for, for this opportunity to open your word, even to tough scripture, and, and but Lord, it's scripture. And as it was said here, God said it, and so I believe it. And Father, we pray that, that this can stay on our hearts as, as we move throughout this day and week. Father, we pray for the upcoming service. We pray for the Lord's Supper. We pray for Pastor Tim and his preaching. May it be your words through his lips. We pray for the worship and we pray for all those who are speaking. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. Amen. Yeah, our manager's right. <laughs>